Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Take a second to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Lynn Shelton's new comedic drama, Sword of Trust. The film tells the story of Cynthia, who learns that her inheritance from her deceased grandfather is an antique sword that he believed was proof that the South won the Civil War. To sell the sword, Cynthia and her friend Mary team up with a cantankerous pawn shop owner and his man-child employee, who've discovered there's a market for the relic. Their ensuing adventure becomes a journey into the depths of conspiracy theories and Southern disillusionment. In addition to Sword of Trust, Miss Shelton's credits include the feature films Outside In, We Go Way Back, My Effortless Brilliance, Hump Day, Your Sister's Sister, Touchy Feely, and Laggies, as well as episodes of the television series New Girl, The Mindy Project, Master of None, Casual, Fresh Off the Boat, and Glow. Following a recent screening of the film at the Harmony Gold Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Shelton spoke with director Jake Kasdan about filming Sword of Trust. During their conversation, she discusses her desire to return to her roots of improvisation, her creative collaboration with actor and comedian Mark Marin, and how one of the characters was inspired by a lift trip with a flat earther. Cool, thank you. Hey. Hi, you guys. Thanks for coming and staying. Hi there. Well, this, I loved this movie. I just saw it the other day. Lynn and I have worked together for a lot of years um, through working on TV shows and things like that. And I've always been a fan since before that. Uh, I try to see them all. You make a lot of stuff. You're really prolific. And that's something I want to talk to you about a little bit. But I saw this movie. I just loved it so much. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, totally. It's populated entirely with actors that I just love. You have yes, everyone I agree. in this thing. <laughs> Me too. Is somebody that I would go to in almost anything. And uh, mostly not people I've worked with, but all people I've always wanted to work with. I worked with Michaela once. I thought she was incredible. Um, was the cast sort of the impetus for this, or to start with sort of the most, um, it's not the most original question, but it's definitely a movie that I really want to know the answer, which is where did this one come from? Sort of what was the genesis for this for you? Uh, it, was, it was Mark Maron. I really wanted to work with him. I, I met him on his podcast, WTF, that I, he was kind enough to have me on almost exactly four years ago, summer of 2015. He had just talked to the president, and I was like, he's not going to want to talk to me, <laughs> but we pitched me to him and he was like, uh, sure. Yeah, no, I like her movies. I want to talk to her. So, um, we got along really well and, uh, and TV directing the, the sort of topic of TV directing came up and he was like, will you direct my show? And I was like, sure. So he had, he had the show on IFC called Marin that was based on him and his material. So I got to direct the first couple episodes of that fourth season, which turns out to have been a really, um, 
the most challenging uh, season for his character because he had fallen off the wagon. It was sort of a fictionalized what would happen if if Mark, you know, or a version of Mark had, you know, actually gone off the wagon and sort of hit bottom again and had to find his way back to sobriety. And so it was a very vulnerable, you know, it like gave him a lot of um, opportunity to really try out some acting range that he hadn't had the experience, the, the chance to do before. And I loved working with him. I just loved yeah. working with him. And I really felt like he was such a natural actor and he would sort of come in with, you know, ready to listen, ready to be engaged. And he was open and he had his lines memorized, but he, it was pretty unshaped, you know, and I would like give him an adjustment and he would just like focus up and click in. And all of a sudden it was like stuff would happen that was so exciting. And it just, I felt like I was part of that, process in a really exciting way. And I yeah. just was compelled by his on-screen presence. And I sort of saw sort of untapped depths that I just, I wanted to explore and I wanted the world to see. So right from the get-go, that was, you know, three and a half years ago, he said afterwards, you know, I felt like we had built a certain amount of trust together and, um, and we started writing a movie and not this one, a different movie. And he's never made a movie before, and I had made several, <laughs> but he didn't really understand that it was possible to do it. So it just yeah. kept sort of, you know, we're still trying to get through the first draft of that movie. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and I got really frustrated at a certain point, and I said, I just want to get on set with you, but I can't do it until we have the script done. And he was like, well, this that, will happen in its own time. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. It'll happen. It'll happen. You know, it happened his own time. But if you really, really want to get on a, on a set with me, just like go write another movie, movie for him with the part for me, and I'll and I'll do it. You know, I'm sure I can carve out like a couple weeks and whatever. But he really, he always says he really didn't think it would happen. And I show up a couple months later. I'm like, all right, I got the movie. Where's my two weeks? You know, we're gonna make this thing. And he's like, oh, really? Okay. Um, but I, I, there were a few things I wanted to do with it in addition to working with Mark. I wanted to go back to my um, roots of working with improvisation, which I hadn't done for a while. So the last time I made an improvis improvisation based movie was your sister, sister, which I made in 2010. And since then I've made three other films. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, that were scripted and done a lot of TV that was scripted. And I was sort of like, okay, I was itching to go back to that, but I had learned that you really needed a very specific cast of actors because right. not everybody can do that. And so I had been sort of collecting <laughs> a lot of, you know, because I've done so people. much TV. I've, got a, I've done a lot of a guest episodic work in the last few years. I've worked with Michaela on her show Casual, which was on Hulu and just we loved working together. And so I knew that she was great at it. And then she was the one who suggested Jillian Bell and Jillian brought in John Bass and Mike O'Brien, who I worked with on AP Bio, he's the creator of this NBC show, AP Bio, and I directed the finale of his first season of his show and really got along with him and asked if he would co-write it with me. And originally we thought he was gonna be in it. Um, he comes from the SNL world and from Chicago improv world. And so he vetted, he found me, Tim Paul and um, Whitmer Thomas, who played Jake and Zeke, as well as I'd worked with Dan Bacadal on the Mindy Project. We met for a quick yeah. minute and he was, I brought him up. It's like, what about him as the heavy? And he was like, oh, he was like king of the yeah. improv scene in, in Chicago. He's one of the best improvisers I know, you know. So it was like all these people. And then Toby Huss, who plays Hog Joss. <laughs> God, yeah. genius, genius, yeah. genius actor. He can. He's one of those guys who can do anything. Um, 
broad comedy, you know, small comedy, naturalism, dramatic. I mean, he's just brilliant. And that guy I've known, I mean, we used to do theater. You know, we, we were in the same sort of performance theater, downtown theater scene in New York, in New York, like decades ago. So Uh I've known him forever. And if not, we've never been able to work together until now. So yeah, all those people were, I, so I work a very carefully curated cast. Um, and I wanted to give myself the opportunity to do something I've never done before genre-wise, which was to go a little off the rails plot-wise. Like I've made dramatic comedies and one drama, and it was always like every beat of every scene had to feel like it could really happen in the real world. And I just wanted to let myself actually have some fun and go a little more screwball mm-hmm. comedy, mm-hmm. have emotionally grounded characters that you really, that resonated and you cared about. But let them just go into, you know, get make a comedy caper, you know, get like yeah. normal people who just get in over their heads, sort of Pineapple Express, Fish Called Wanda kind of style. Yeah. And what is the, so when you talk about writing it, but also talk about it being improvised, what is that process? How does that work for you? So in this case, it looks a little different every time. Like Hump Day was a 10-page treatment that had like no... Uh, no dialogue, but it was just every scene was described what would happen um, exposition wise, um, emotional dynamics in the, you know, the characters, the relationships. Your sister's sister was an 80 page script. You know, some of the scenes were sketchy, but most of them were written out so that there was a safety net and some sort of lines for the actors to kind of um, that they could riff off of, they could mm-hmm. use or not at their will, you know. And this was like a 50-page, I call it a scriptment. It was like half script, half treatment. And some of the scenes, like the scene between Deirdre and Mel, for instance, was actually really written out. And Deirdre, you know, I would go in and I would kind of like my song and dance to try and get money from him was a little different, was a little looser every time. But all of his rejoinders, everything he said to me was basically as written. It was on the page. And there were other scenes that were sort of written out like that too, um, and then the scene in the back of the van, which was arguably the heart of the whole movie, uh, said they get to know each other in the back of the van. Wow. And I knew it was going to fulfill a very specific purpose. I had a feeling, but I wasn't sure exactly what or how it would work. And then by the time we shot it, I was like, okay, these people have to start to gain trust with each other, you know, and they ha- and we, and I want to really feel like they're real people. So I want to know about their hopes and dreams. And this is the opportunity to do that. Now, before going in, the other thing is that before even showing up on set, I'd spent time with each of those actors in usually in relationship with actors that they had previous relationships with, um, the characters are supposed to have previous relationships with, right? So like Michaela and Jillian and I all got together and talked about that relationship of that couple, how they met, what their backstory was, what their hopes and dreams were, if they got the money, you know, that mm-hmm. all that stuff was sort of laid out. And, but they, but they get to participate in that, you know, right. so Jillian came up with the whole escape room thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I got John Bass and my, and, and, and Mark to spend time together. John immediately annoyed Mark, which was fantastic <laughs> for the relationship between yeah. the two characters, you know, um, I mean, they both sort of played off of it, yeah, but it was, yeah, you know, they, they found their dynamic, their dynamic, you know, immediately. And Mark and I talked a lot about this relationship, this past history between Mal and Deirdre and what that would look like. So 
they didn't make that all that up on the right. spot. They had some stuff backloaded. But how they're talking but about it and what they're totally saying. finding their way through the beats of the scene and like the the and we did it several times and there was a lot more to it. It was nine hours in the back of a very hot van in the in a very very hot <laughs> unair conditioned studio, and by the end. That the the close up on Mark in the most beautiful part of the movie of that that performance, which I just I can't get over how much I love it. Um, yeah. It's one of the best performances I've seen by anyone in anything, yeah. Yeah. and it was one of the very last takes that we did. And he was so worn out by then, yeah. as well as really angry and aggravated, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but the way that he channeled all of that into the performance just blows me away, you know? And not only did he found the shape of what, you know, because it's different every time we do it, of course, you know? Um, and uh, and so not only had he sort of found what the story was, but he also was able to really, like, put, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's a perfect person to do that. And, and he... I didn't realize until afterwards the extent to which you were sort of the how the improvisation that it was heavily improvised because it feels to me it feels really like great writing and you can feel that and I suppose it, it, there is a sort of a writing process afterwards with that too so you must become uh, the editing then is where you're really putting Absolutely. together a lot of that, deciding what you're going to say, what you're not going to say, how long everything's going to be, what the proportions oh of the movie are. Yeah, it was it was two and a half hours long, the first cut. And that's not, and that wasn't like a super fat, you know, that was like gold. Like, <laughs> especially comedically, it was just like, this is all so funny and yeah. so great. And there was so much more of every character, right? So in the back of the van, they all had long stories that they told. And I think the whole thing ended up being like 45 to 50 minutes long, the entire take that we went through everybody's stories. And for instance, you know, um, and there was just all of this extra comedic stuff. And like, I kept telling Mark, he was the center of the movie and he kept saying, doesn't feel like it. I mean, I, I'm hardly saying anything. I'm just this straight guy and all these one man, one woman shows going on around me. Cause he's, they were all doing characters and he just really can be himself. Like they come from a comedic improvisational world and he doesn't like, he's just, you know, he really yeah. was the straight man, but I was, but I was like, no, but you're also being really funny too. You're getting a lot of the laughs and he just didn't believe me at all until really? he saw it on screen. Yeah. At South by Southwest because it was so hard to tell. I mean, you got to understand this is a guy whose main thing he's been doing stand up for 35 years right. and he's used to going up there. And it's interesting because he actually creates his material through improvisation because he doesn't sit down and write jokes. He tells the story, he tells these, these, you know, he forms his material on stage every night. You know, he works it out, he works it out. And, um, and then he learned how to really listen and give stage time, you know, to somebody else through his podcast where yeah. he does these long form interviews. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that actually is one of the things that really made him a great, both of those things made him a great, you know, um, improvisational actor. And he starts the podcast with 10 minutes of him talking yeah. to himself, basically. Extemporaneously. About his own. Exactly. So and then that, he went through four seasons of his own show. Like if you see right. his first season of Marin, it's pretty rough acting wise, yeah. you know, and he, and he knew that he would take a hit, you know, that he would have to learn how to like, do, what do people, how do people touch their hair? Yeah. You know, like, you know, everything was like, right. you know, very self-conscious. And then he just lost, he just started to 
lose that and you see this even the second season he's way better and by third for third and fourth season he's he's just sort of yeah he's and just you had become, worked together on glow as well yeah which was total serendipity like we were trying to make this write this movie and i got i got um a gig uh to shoot an uh, to direct an episode of that season bef- like months before he he even auditioned for the, he got cast. Really? It was crazy. Yeah. It just happened of all the TV shows in all the world. Um, and we had a great time working together on that several episodes. Um, and then he asked me to do his, his direct his special, his right. last comedy special for Netflix. Um, yeah. So we just sort of became creative collaborators. Yeah. It's become a major collaboration. Yeah. It's cool. It's yeah, great. Yeah. And how, so what was, how long did you shoot this movie for? How long, when you make a movie like that way, I willed it into existence. Uh-huh. I put some of my own money into it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had this whole cast. I had my editor uh, in place. Everybody was sort of Seems like you put the crew together with a lot of people you've been working with yeah. on Episodic. Yes. And I worked, uh, yeah, as it turns out, um, my DP came, fr- I was a camera operator on Glow and a DP on Casual. <laughs> He'd worked yeah. with two of the actors um, and several of the crew yeah. And, uh, my editor I worked with on, I met on glow. Um, and my, my John Lavin, I've worked with in on, mo- all, your on movies, all my right? movies since yeah. your sister, sister, he's worked with me for years and Designer. years. He yeah. came in from Seattle. Um, and everybody else was a local f- Alabama. They all were, um, that our gaffer was also from LA, but everybody else was, was local crew in Alabama. Ted speaker is a, a friend I met. He has a programmer at the sidewalk film festival in Birmingham, Alabama with my very first feature film back in 2006. He was a fan of that film and we kept in touch since then. He helped me out on a couple he made all the music for my second feature and like created my website. And like, we were, you know, friends from way back. And then he sort of built up his producing career. And when I asked if he would produce this, it was sort of perfect timing for, for him in his career. And so he said, as long as you can move it to, to Alabama, I can, I can do it. And it just needed to be set in the South. So that sort of worked out perfectly. Um, we, uh, shot it in 12 days. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And the reason was that Mark had said he could, he's a busy guy and he told me he, could give me two weeks. So I was like, all right, 12 days on, two days off, 12 days on. That's what I got. And the thing that was great about that is I, I was, it was so much easier to get all that cast because that entire cast, they're constantly working, you know, they're really heavily working actors. Um, and, and to ask anybody to do, this was a really low, this was like SAG minimum. They were not doing it for the paycheck, you know, and it was really like, come come out to Alabama, have fun with these amazing actors. We're going to have a summer camp style, you know, time in incredibly humid heat. Um, as it turns out, yeah, I'm it sorry, you did it when it was, uh-huh, it was in okay. Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. I didn't, I thought, I thought, okay, August, you know, obviously we've been right. reasonable, but early May, no, <laughs> turns out horrible. Yeah. It was really, really rough. Um, but yeah, so I, I specifically wrote it there are no night exteriors, you know, there's, there's no night actually at all. I knew I needed a long driving scene and I put them all in a windowless van so I could put them in a studio and just yeah. like rock it with grips. <laughs> <laughs> um, no process work, you know, yeah. everything that the pawn shop, we were five days in the pawn shop and like three days on that farm. And then, you know, a few days of a few more locations, but it was, it was, you know, it was built to be producible. Right. Yeah. It's contained, but that's fast by any, 
any measure yeah. to yeah. make a that was insane. My AD and I, but probably really exhilarating. Like so exciting. I mean, the thing I, I'd been itching to be to do improv again, but um, it is terrifying because you are writing a bulk of the movie on set, right. and my past movies that I'd done in that fashion. It was two, maybe three people per scene. And this was four to eight people in a scene. And we yeah. still, we had two cameras, but we only had two cameras and you had to cover all those people. So a lot of, we were like, okay, we're going to do dueling two shots. We're going to get the meat and potatoes of our scene. You don't want to rehearse because the first time might be the time, you know? And it's just such a beautiful way to work because you get these genuine reactions. People are actually engaged. They have to be listening. They're not pretending like they don't know what the next person is going to be right. saying. <laughs> they really don't know. They have no idea. And you can feel it. You know, you really can feel it, I think, as an audience member. Um, there's something kind of, I don't know, vital about it. Yeah. And then, yeah, just going back to the editing, the editing is absolutely essential. There were so many different versions of this movie that could have come out. And we went from the, when we had the two and a half hour cut, for me, like, I just feel very strongly that a, a, a comedy, I, my movies, I like to have 90 minutes, you know, ish at least, if they're comedies. And I didn't know how I was going to cut out three minutes, much less an hour of that movie. It just seemed impossible at the beginning. And we found that it just got sharper and sharper and better and better, you know, and the more that we kind of honed it to, like, make Mel's emotional arc the the, the, the sort of core of it the better it was. I'd say the van, back of the van scene was the one that went through the most iterations, just like contracting, expanding, contracting, expanding. You know, what are we, what's the balance of how long does it take for him to get to that moment? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. So when you're working that way, what do you do if it feels like it isn't working? On set? Yeah. Which um, must happen occasionally, right? Yeah. Or like a scene isn't working, I mean. Right. Like you, what you're doing in the moment well, for instance, you... uh, the one that leaps to mind is um, Jimmy was a non-actor, and we had a really hard time finding that guy. He lived in in Birmingham, and uh, we were looking at actors, and none of them they were all none of them could improvise. And this guy, the local casting director, came up with this idea. He's like, "Well, let's talk to this guy because he's like a kind of a spoken word. He's a teacher and a spoken word poet." guy, sort of a slam poet guy. He's a really interesting character. And I uh, used to do rap and stuff. And he was great. He was so great. But there was one scene that was a little bit like I, I, I had too many scenes. I had too many lines that were written. And as soon as he tried to tackle it just, it was really not working. And I, I basically, what I did was I kind of, I said, okay, we're going to come back to it because <laughs> I have to reshape it and I have to make it more, uh, I have to simplify it and kind of make it something that he can handle. And, and so I just sort of, yeah, I just kind of revisited it and, and sort of reshaped it so that it would be more in his voice and he could be more, you like, know, like left it and then returned to the scene. You mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the other, I have to say it didn't, ever really happen other than that one time. There was another scene that got cut. Luckily, it was able to just be cut all together with another another local actor that just wasn't, it never felt, I never believed it. It never quite worked. And then I realized ultimately we didn't need it for the, it was like one more person, like we had those Jake and Zeke characters come to try to get the sword. Somebody else showed up to, originally to make another offer. Mm -hmm. 
and it made him realize, oh, it really is worth this amount of money or something. But then I realized, oh yeah, we don't actually need it after all. So that got, there was one scene that got cut all together. But, but with the core actors, I have to say that it just, it was not, yeah, yeah it's yeah. all about casting. Like you just got to, you know, they it really, if, if any one of those actors had, had not been up to the task, I would have been screwed. Yeah. I would have been totally screwed. I just didn't have time, you know, for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of the story and what it's about, yeah. what, what was the, I mean, it's, it's, I thought it was just so interesting and funny and such an interesting way of, because the movie's really sort of topical, but in this very sideways, surprising way that no one would, you know, you'd never anticipate. Well, I wanted to make a culturally relevant movie that yeah. referred to this post truth era that we're living in and um but i but i didn't want to make a movie that would make you feel like slitting your wrists when you walked out like i get enough of that from real life so yeah. <laughs> so i wanted to make like-minded people feel validated in their yeah. <clears throat> you know feelings of being disturbed by what's happening i mean conspiracy theories have been around forever literally but um since the dawn of mankind, I think, but uh, we're, we're having a peak moment yeah. since we have a conspiracy theorist in chief, right? So um, it just, it's, I find it very upsetting. Um, but it also is being, it's caused me to think a lot about the nature of this human frailty towards uh, us all being, you know, having the ability to be suckers, right? So I wanted, it was why one of, I wanted one of our heroes to actually also have you know, a questionable belief system right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, to show that it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's anybody's susceptible, you yeah. know, and, uh, and that we all, and, you know, and some conspiracy theories actually are true, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's a problem because if one, if you realize, oh my God, this one is true, then it's like, well, then how can you trust anything? And, you know, it's just like, so yeah, the way that our brains work um, is, uh, is, it's a tricky thing. And I wanted to, to explore that. So it's interesting because it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily always going to be conspiracy theory based though. Like I, I, the reason, the way I came up with it, I, I wanted to work with Mark. That was the very first seed. I was trying to think about what would be an interesting character and scenario for him. I literally was in a lift ride. We stopped in front of a pawn shop in LA. I don't, I can't remember which one it was, but I just looked over and saw this amazing looking pawn shop and I just saw him in there. He always teases me about that. It's like, oh, so you just saw me among the displaced sad <laughs> items. Just thought I belonged behind them. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> it seemed like the perfect place for you. Yeah. And what a great setting because any oddball can, you know, walk into that, yeah. <laughs> that kind of environment. Um, and I knew that I, I had this idea of this sort of comedy caper idea and like maybe a con and then the conner would be, would actually flip the con around, you know, some kind yeah. of a con. And, and then I knew I wanted, um, I'd had this experience with a flat earther once um, before I knew that it was a thing. And it was basically what you saw was basically a replication of the way the guy introduced it to me. You know, he was, it was a Lyft driver. Again, I owe so much to Lyft. He was, <laughs> he took, it was a long Lyft ride and he was very um, normal seeming. That and we had this of nice chat. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> My production designer had a great time making that model. Um, and, uh, and he, at the end of this conversation, he starts telling me about how the earth is flat. And I just was like, my brain was, I couldn't even register what he was saying. Obviously he was joking, right? And then, but he wasn't joking. I'm like, what is happening? 
<laughs> and I really had never heard of it because I didn't know it was a thing yet, you know? So he turns around and he says to me, he parks the car in front of my apartment. He looks at me and he says, exactly what Nathaniel says, which is basically, look, listen, I, I get it. I mean, <laughs> you were exactly where I was a year ago. All you have to do is Google it. Just Google it. Just keep Googling. It's all there. It's, it's, it's undeniable. <laughs> if you just Google deep enough. And I was like, thank you, sir. I'm putting that in a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I knew I wanted one of the characters to be a flat earther. That, yeah. was, that was sort of the beginning of the, the conspiracy theory thing. And then once we were trying to figure out the con and what would a story be that would make some artifact more valuable that came in, you know, it just kind of organically emerged yeah. from there. Yeah. But it has this great humanity to it in the way you treat everybody, the way the actors perform the parts, the way the characters interact with each other. And I think it's really a, it's a, it speaks to your sensibility and your, the humanity of your, your body of work is expressed here the same way. It's the same thing I remember loving about Hump Day and all the stuff in between. I feel like you've brought it to the TV work you do as well. So it expands into this bigger kind of, you know, meditation on the moment we're in, but in a way that's really loving of all the people involved, which I thought was just a lovely kind of, it's a lovely treatment and way of thinking about these things. Well, thanks. Yeah, I definitely, as a northerner coming to the south, I didn't want to condescend to southerners. I also didn't want to represent, you know, the south inauthentically. So that was something I was very concerned about. And even the folks who I would consider sort of wrong-minded, you know, individuals in this movie, I, I wanted to humanize them. I wanted everybody to feel like real humans mm -hmm. and not just, no, nobody was to be a, a cardboard cutout or, or a cartoon or, you know, sort of two-dimensional. I wanted everybody to feel real. Is that great moment when uh, you know, uh, the kids pop up at the, they've been taken in and, uh, you know, and Mel says, Oh, you're those, you're those guys. That was Mark's idea. I remember that you, was Mark's idea. Just, and I just, I, I, I love it so much. I yeah. just, I think it's so smart to me. It felt like it immediately just, yeah, it humanizes them. It just makes them so, and, and they're, they're trying so hard to be tough and bullies, but it just like everything just drops yeah. when that happens. And it goes to, to his sort of, you know, philosophical approach on, on his show that I've always loved, which is he's basically talking to everyone with the, the fundamental unspoken thing is everyone is just a person and I'm going to get to know the person. Exactly. And your movie does the same thing in a way that and it's probably part of where you guys link up and the, this, you know, part of where, what you're illustrating in this stop and your shared journey. It's a cool thing. Um, it looks like we're winding down, but, uh, Totally great to talk to you about this. I love Thanks, the Jake. movie. Thanks for doing this. Lynn Shelton, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we'll have more great Q&As with directors Andrea Burloff and Quentin Tarantino. Be sure to subscribe and please take a moment to rate and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.